Take it away, brother. Yeah. Well, good morning, Riverside family. It is so fun to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we are jumping back into our Roman series. I just, I, let me tell you, honestly, I'm a little sad because next week is our last Sunday in the book of Romans. We will have spent 23 weeks in the book of Romans, which is just unheard of to do as a community. We have dug in for the last 23 weeks to the book of Romans. It's been really, really good, and we'll be broadcasting live, broadcasting from the Loft Coffee House next Sunday, so we're going to do something special uh, as we kind of close down our Roman series. And so for the first 12 chapters, or 16 chapters in the book of Romans, for the first 12 chapters, Paul has been building this case, has been pleading with you and with I, and what he's been doing for 12 chapters is he's been laying out perfect theology about the nature and character of Jesus Christ. His concern, his main focus for us is that we would have right thinking about who Jesus Christ is, and he's done that over 12 chapters just been laying out perfect theology about who Jesus Christ is. And in chapter 12, he makes this shift. And the, the, the shift, his thought process is right thinking should lead to right responses about who Jesus is. And so for 12 chapters, Paul has been mainly concerned with right thinking. And then he makes this shift in chapter 12 to how does the gospel show up in your life? What difference does the life of Jesus Christ actually make? And there's this phrase in chapter 12 that says this. It's, uh, it's found in chapter 12. It says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so Paul implores us after 12 chapters, this is how you should live. This is what your life, a living sacrifice, should look like. This is what a gospel-infused, gospel-infected life looks like. And today I'm really excited because we are not going to be talking about essentials, matters that are essential in the faith. We're going to be talking about your opinions, like People have opinions about things, about scriptures, and about the nature of what things say. And Paul is not going to be concerned today with matters that are essential, um, salvific matters like the nature of Jesus Christ, or what does it mean to have a relationship, or is Jesus God's son? He's going to be talking about today matters of opinion. Which is better, A&M or UT? Which do you like more, Star Trek or the nerdy Star Wars, or do you like Rocky Road or mint chocolate? He's going to be talking about preferences. Because you have to remember that oftentimes when we read the scripture, we forget that Paul is addressing real people with real thoughts, real emotions, and real opinions about things going on in their life. And so Paul is going to uh, implore us this morning He's going to say, listen, in view of God's mercy, how do you come together with a bunch of people that you disagree with? What difference does the gospel make in your life? When you and I come together as a community on Sunday mornings and we bump into people that have very different convictions about not first tier essentials, but about our preferences, what difference does the gospel make in your life? And so that's where Paul is going to take us this morning. So we'll be jumping into Romans chapter 14. We'll start in verse 1. And let's read that um, as we get going this morning. It says this. Except the one who's in the faith is weak. 
without quarreling over disputable matters, matters of opinion. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. And right here, just as a side note, it's interesting to me to note that Paul says the one whose faith is weak actually has more rules. They don't know the freedom that Jesus Christ offers. Verse 3, the one who eats everything, that's like me right now, the Corona 15 is certainly coming, but the one who eats everything must not treat in contempt with the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge somebody else's servant? To their own master servant will they stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Hey, listen, don't start judging people. Don't take your eye off of the gospel of what God has accomplished in your life and making other people live for your approval. Verse 5 goes on and says, One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another every day alike. And so what's going on in Paul's day is that there's two issues that are um, causing conflict in the church. And uh, those two issues are what you ate and what day of the week that you went to worship on. Their opinions were elevated up to like first level essentials, to almost the same thing as like what scripture says. And I don't know if you know this, but it's true. Because the longer that you and I are around church, the more you and I start to have opinions about things. And we start to elevate those opinions from opinions and convictions to essentials. Essentials that everybody else better measure up to. And so in those days, it was two issues. It was meat sacrifice to idols and what day of the week you would worship on. And so meat sacrifice to idols, there is a bunch of new followers of Jesus Christ. And for the very first time, we have the Jewish people and the gospel is expanding and you have these new followers, these Gentiles coming in and going to the marketplace and buying their groceries, buying meat that may or may not have been sacrificed to idols. And the people that have been in church a long time have opinions about that. And like, listen, don't eat the meat. That meat could have been sacrificed to a, an idol, a little G, a little God. And if you eat that meat, it's like you're participating in idol worship. So don't eat it. And then you have all these new followers of Jesus Christ coming along to Life Group on Sundays with Rudy's Barbecue, and it's super offensive to the people that have been there a really long time. And then the other issue is, well, what day of the week should we worship on? For 4,000 years, the people of God have been worshiping on Friday night, Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday night, sundown Friday to sundown on uh, Saturday night, because that's what God told them to do in the Older Testament. And then you have these new people, these new followers of Jesus being engrafted in that are like, listen, here's the deal. We want to worship on Sunday. Why? Because that's the day our Lord was resurrected. And we want to be people of the resurrection. We want to be people that remember the resurrected life that Jesus Christ has to offer. And it's a little surprising to me kind of where Paul takes this disagreement and I just didn't honestly see where, where Paul would be laying it out this way for you and for I. He didn't say, hey, listen, when you have disagreements about things, don't sweat the small things. The big things are not, the big, they're not that big of a deal. Don't, don't make the, let's just keep the main thing the main thing or any of those other little goofy things that we say, Christians say. Paul actually runs in the other direction. Look at what it says in verse 5. 
each of us, each of them, should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks. You have different opinions about things, Paul would say, and they would say, yeah, we do. Good. Stand deeply convicted. You be convinced about what you should be, be, believe. Be informed by God's word. Be informed by the scripture as to what you and your household should do. Now, just a question there. Do you think that's going to make the situation better or worse? For me, Paul is saying, dig in. Dig into your convictions. Don't, like, you hold on to them. You be biblically informed. You hold tight to them. Do you think that's going to cause more conflict or not? And Paul is teaching us an important principle for us that you have to deal with. What Paul is talking about here is not uniformity, but he's talking about gospel unity. Unity amongst diversity. You want to show the power of God and what God's presence on this earth could look like, then you get together a whole bunch of Christians that believe a whole bunch of things about secondary issues and let them, with deep convictions in their heart, being biblically informed, come together with great humility and lay down their lives for the sake of unity. Why? Because gospel above all. Because gospel before all. Paul says, be fully convinced in your mind. But just know that your convictions that you hold are not the same thing as the Lord commandments. Like the what, the why behind the what you're doing matters most because you can do the exact same thing and one be pleasing to the Lord and one could be displeasing to the Lord. Two people can do the exact same thing and God be pleased with one of them and God be displeased with the other. And the exact opposite can be true too. Two people can have different opinions about the same issue, and Paul is teaching us that God can be pleased with both of them. Why? Because your motive matters. Your heart matters. The way that your spirit yields before God matters. Look at what it says in verse 7. For none of us live for ourselves alone, and none of us die for ourselves alone. Now this, friends, this, this, this might bump you a little bit this morning. And, and, and as I've been thinking about it, I think it's just absolutely essential for us to get this. You need to understand that you are not saved by the church. You are not saved by your faith family. It's not just about you and Jesus. And so often, this is a normal part of the, like, the Christian conversation. It's me and my relationship with Jesus, and that's absolutely true. But you also need to understand that you are saved into a church family. You are saved into the body of Christ. And how you live matters. The activity, the way that we treat each other in non-essentials matters to Jesus. It has an impact on them. And it's not pleasing it is not pleasing for us to be united to the Lord and divided with one another. 
It is not pleasing to God. Unity in the body of Christ for us as followers of Jesus is really important. And Jesus in John 17 says some crazy things. He prays what is known as the high priestly prayer. And he says this. He says, Father, may they be one, you and I be one, like you and I are one. Jesus and the Father are distinct in nature. They're not the same, but they're unified as as one. They come together as one, distinct in nature, but unified under one. And so it's not about uniformity, but it's about gospel above all. Unity for the sake of the gospel right here. That means that we can come together. It's actually better for us to come together with people that don't think the same, that don't vote the same, that don't have the same opinions, that don't have the same convictions. In, why? Because in John 17, he goes on to say, by this, the world will know that you sent me by them being one. In other words, the proof that Jesus is who he says he is is when we get together with a bunch of different convictions and a bunch of different opinions on secondary issues that we come together with deep convictions under the, under the, under the banner of gospel unity. So what, is it, so what does all that mean? What's Paul talking about? How does that actually show up in our lives? <clears throat> so over spring break, me and my family uh, went got invited to a friend's lake house. They let us use it for uh, the week of spring break. And so as a family, just personally, we had been working really hard and I was looking forward to some really good downtime and rest with my wife and my two girls. And when we got there, the, this was the start of the coronavirus, the COVID-19 had just been bubbling up and rumors were starting to get swirl around about you know, they're going to be shutting down the schools. They're going to be shutting down businesses. And my phone honestly was blowing up. Hey, we need to cancel church. We need to do all these things. We need to take precautions. We need to do, like, let's shut it. And there's something in me that, that just creeped up that said, absolutely not. We are people of faith. We're not going to give in to fear. We're not going to bend or yield to those things. Are you kidding me? We need to be people that continue to meet, continue to gather, despite the craziness of the world that has to offer, we're going to continue to meet. And that's just kind of my natural response to things. Whenever I travel overseas or I've gone to Honduras or Haiti, I don't take the malaria medicine. I don't get the shots. I kind of just don't think about those things. And that was true for this circumstance too. And let me be real honest. Do you know what did not cross my mind one time? You know what did not cross my mind one time when all of this first began to hit? How can I hold our community together for gospel unity? You know what I thought about? I thought about being right, and I thought about proving my point. And the Lord, y'all, he's so funny, and he's so kind, because during that week of spring break, I had a wedding that I did, and uh, I went to the wedding, and at the wedding, there happened to be some out-of-town guests from overseas that had traveled from countries that uh, had been infected by coronavirus, and they were pretty hot at that moment. And so guess who got to stay home that first Sunday? I did. And I wonder right now, just as we think about this idea of gospel unity in particular, do you, do you see much unity in the body of Christ, even around stuff like COVID-19? Do you think the world looks at us and sees anything different 
in the way that we hold our opinions and hold our convictions together and, and yet lay those down for gospel unity. And it's not just with COVID. It's with a thousand different things. For them, it was about eating meat, sacrificed to idol, and what day of the week you should worship on. But we have our issues too, right? Like, what, what is your preference for worship? Someone wears that to church on Sunday? Wait, do you drink and smoke cigars? Are you kidding me? Do you not know that? Do you let your kids watch those movies? Let me just give you a little confession. I never watched the Harry Potters growing up. I thought they were kind of nerdy. Um, but, for, but for the last couple of nights, um, my family, they're like three hours long. Did you know that? They're crazy long. And so each night, me and my girls have been watching about half of that Harry Potter movie and then watching the next half the next night. And when I told my, some of my family about that, they would have thought that I had just like spit on the Bible. <laughs> they were so furious at me. How dare you let your kids watch that? Wit- I mean, they went, I'm like, but the kids were celebrating Christmas in the Harry Potter like it's good and evil. And, it's, and it's, it's like there's this division among secondary issues and it's with everything. John, why are we not going deeper on Sunday mornings? Why are we not pushing into kind of the more Um, charismatic expressions for the community. Why are we not focusing on healing and miracles and the gift of prop? Why are we not pushing into those? Like we need to be going deeper into God's word. And then I have a whole bunch of people that are in that kind of the young life camp that are saying, John, why are we not wrapping our arms around more people? How are we not loving our neighborhoods more? How are we not chasing after lost people? Don't you, they know that it's not just about personal experience and knowing God personally, but it's invite wrapping your arms around other people. And there's part of me that just wants to say, yes, yes. Why do we let matters of preferences divide us when God is saying this is such a beautiful gift when these things are married together? Isn't it? It's with everything. Can you... Has there ever been a time where there's more polarization around our political conversations where we have, you know, team never Trumpers? How dare you ever vote for that man? Do you, know, do you not know what a sexist he is? Do you not know the things that he said? Do you not know how brash and crude his language is? How impulsive he is? Do you not know the things that he actually says? How dare you ever vote for somebody or support somebody like that? And then there's a whole bunch of other people that are like, listen, I mean, I I don't agree with everything he says, but just when I look at the landscape of our political system, it's real hard for me to get in line with the the other side. Like to me, the the idea of being pro-choice is just unbearable. And so while I might not agree with everything that Trump says, I got to support him because I care about these other issues. And Paul would say to both sides of us this morning, good, be biblically informed. You believe wholehearted with deep-seated convictions about what you and your family are going to hold to. But come together for the sake of of gospel unity. Paul goes on in verse 13 and he says this, therefore do not pass judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling blocks 
or obstacles in front of a brother or sister. Paul says, don't you be so judgmental. (laughs) Is there anything worse than like a judgmental Christian? It's horrible uh, when you bump into those people. Don't, Don't take your eyes off the gospel and ask Jesus to come down off of his throne so that you can crawl up there and let your opinions about issues reign supreme. That's not, that's not what God's heart is. Don't let your opinions be elevated so much up. But I think Paul would also encourage us, says this doesn't mean that we're just always silent, that we don't ever have bump-ins with one another. Paul, throughout his writings, talks about being accountable and um, encouraging one another. And that word encouraging that Paul uses is not, good job, y'all. When Paul talks about encouraging one another, he's talking about poking and prodding and pushing on one another. But you and I know the difference between being holding somebody accountable versus being judgmental. Being judgmental is always about cutting and lowering of the other person. But holding somebody accountable is helping them find their legs underneath them. That their feet and legs get steady, that they're reminded of God's best in their lives. And Paul says, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or any obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. And it's surprising where Paul takes this. He says, he doesn't say, don't pass judgment and just mind your own business. That's not what he says. But Paul reminds you and I, pay less attention to everybody else's stuff. And can you be a little self-reflective? Stop going to tell everybody what day of the week they should go to worship on and whether they can eat that meat or not eat that meat. How about you do a little self-reflecting? Are you doing anything right now in your life that might cause damage or might cause one of your brothers or sisters to stumble? And now 14 verses in, Paul finally kind of gives his opinion on whether you can eat meat or not. And look at what verse 14 says. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord, that nothing is unclean. Eat the dang hamburger. Eat the meat. Eat the bacon. It's good. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer, catch this, acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone else for whom Christ died for. Can you eat meat? 1 Corinthians says, obviously, there's no such thing as a false idol, is what Paul for, uh, essentially argues. But it, but what Paul says is, eating meat is a secondary issue, but don't make secondary issues stand in the way of you being in right relationship with your brother or sister. Don't use your freedom to cause somebody else to stumble. And the moment that you and I get this understanding that, that nothing is unclean, where you and I say, I got this, I can, do, I, can, I can walk in total freedom in the Lord, the Lord, there's a potential for us to cause people around us damage. Like when you show up to your life group and you know that there's a couple in your life group that maybe have struggled with alcohol abuse or they have a pattern of that in their marriage or their family history and you show up to life group with a really nice bottle of wine and whiskey for the group, you're doing damage. But yes, aren't you free to do that? Aren't you free in the Lord? Absolutely. You are absolutely free in the Lord to do that. 
But if you use your freedom to do damage to a brother or sister, you don't understand the gospel message. The gospel is fundamentally not just about you and your preferences. Look how Paul closes this down in verse 19 for us. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, building up one another. And what Paul would tell you and I this morning, there's no such thing as small issues. They're really big. Why do these secondary issues become so big for you and I? Well, because they reveal the condition of our heart. If it's all about me and my preferences, is it all about me and my preferences? Or do I love the body well enough to lay those down? Listen, whenever you and I begin to talk about talk this way and take the words of Paul and Jesus really seriously. There's something in us that's, that's American that, and I'm pro red, white, and blue, you know, as much as the next one, but there's something about it, about what Paul's talking about, where the gospel doesn't speak about freedom and independence. The gospel speaks about dependence, about a God that laid down his rights. About a God, about when you and I say, but don't I have the right to post whatever I want to post? Don't you know that people got it? And Jesus comes along and says, yeah. And I laid all of my preferences and I laid down all of my rights too because I had such a great love for you. First John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for one another. The gospel invites us, the gospel demands us to lay down our life for one another. And yet, just vulnerably and honestly, I have a hard time even laying down my own opinions. I want to prove my point, make sure that I'm heard. I want to be right about things. And that's actually goes against the calling of every follower of Jesus Christ. So this morning, friends, I just want to want to ask you, where have you elevated up opinions? so much that it's actually caused division. Where it's hard to love the person next to you because your opinions have become commandments. Where your convictions have been elevated so much up that it's actually caused wedges between you and the people around you. You know, best I can tell in the next going to be coming to a, the end of this season. And there's going to be this gray period where do we gather? Do we not gather? Is it loving to gather? Is it more loving to stay home? And there's going to be 
lots of opinions about a whole lot of different things that our government, that our president, that a lot of people are saying. And you know what Paul would tell us? Gospel above all. Gospel above all for the sake of gospel. We have an opportunity to be the people that God invited us to be by loving one another so much that we're willing to lay down our preferences and convictions for the sake of one another. So I'm going to invite you to do that right now, right in this very moment, to hear from God, to hear from His heart for you about maybe where you have gotten a little off like I have been and held on to something so tight that it's caused division, it's actually caused damage. Let's take a moment and hear from God's heart about secondary matters of opinion.